Welcome to Rock Talk, the podcast where a couple of jabronis get to know the movie roles of Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I'm Jordan Rummel, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Charlie Guile. Charlie, how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Uh, I'm really excited to talk about this movie today because I have a lot of questions about it. And I'm not ready to talk about it because it's a good movie. I'm ready to talk about it because it is a pretty, pretty bad movie. So I think there's a lot to discuss here. I could not agree more with you. This movie, more than anything, has provoked a lot of thought in my little brain. Uh, And we will get to it soon because today we are taking a journey across the galaxy with Dwayne Johnson for his 2009 animated adventure comedy motion picture Planet 51. Uh, But before that, of course, it's time for our rock news of the week. Mazel! That's fantastic news! And this week we have three different pieces of news to talk about. First off, Jumanji rose back to number one at the box office during Super Bowl weekend, uh, which is really remarkable that a movie that came out in mid-December is still number one here at the beginning of February. Yeah, it's completely insane. And I know that we have said this week after week, but our expectations for this movie were all over the place. The fact that America is still going out to see Jumanji is incredible. And uh, a fact that we have about this, the last time that a movie that released in December uh, and took over the number one spot there and continued to maintain the number one spot into February, exactly 20 years ago with a movie you might have heard called Titanic. So pretty basically big, the, pretty very big deal. similar movies. <laughs> right. <laughs> the second piece of news is actually something that I'm a little upset that we haven't thought of before. And that's a Dwayne Johnson musical is being launched in London next week. Very excited about it. It's, it's called uh, The People's Rock, a musical. I just want to say right off the bat, I'm very uncomfortable with the puppet they've used to portray Dwayne Johnson. <laughs> it looks great. It, I think it looks great. Although it's missing all the tattoos. Yeah, where is the arm tattoo? Where's the new bull? Oh man, we'll have to post a picture of this somewhere. It is pretty remarkable. I need to get my hands on one of these puppets. And I like the You know, not for anything weird, not for any like role play or anything. I just want to have a little buddy. Right. Just just the normal stuff that people do with puppets, you know. <laughs> right. Grown men do with puppets alone with their doors locked. This movie, uh, I just there's it, this weird. Oh. I just want to say the like the plot that we have here is just. I just want to read it out loud because I I still can't believe it. Uh, reading it here, it's set in a world thirty years in the future, care but carrying eerie similarities to our present day. A teenage girl is living in America under the leadership of Emperor Trumpus. Yeah, well, then going on, it says that there's no television, internet, or democracy, and everyone has forgotten about the past, but one girl is obsessed with the idea and the legend that is Dwayne The Rock Johnson. So it's kind of similar to Hercules in that Hercules' legend preceded himself, so this uh, echoes that a little bit. Honestly, it sounds kind of like our own podcast, except substitute one girl for two boys. We really need to reach out to this person because they are a genius. (laughs) Anyway, the third piece of news that we have here is uh, David Leach is in talks to direct the Jason Statham and Dwayne Johnson Fast and Furious spinoff. Uh, What do you think about this news? 
It's pretty cool. Um, I don't, the name David Leach isn't too familiar to me off the bat, but a quick IMDb search reveals that he has a pretty interesting history in Hollywood. He directed the recent Atomic Blonde movie with Charlize Theron, um, and he directed a few scenes in John Wick. Um, but this is Which where- honestly should be enough to get him this movie. Yeah, man. I mean, the combat and the action in John Wick uh, and its sequel are some of the coolest that we've had in the last few years. It's very Fast and Furious esque. Uh, so it seems. Yeah, like he also a... was the stunt coordinator for Tron Legacy, fight designer for The Mechanic, another Statham movie. This is a guy who's he knows what he's doing when it comes to stunts, and that's good. If they're going, if they're focusing first on stunts, that's a good sign for this spinoff. Right, they know where their strengths lie, uh, and. A, just one, a, just a little bonus about this guy is not only was he stunt coordinator in a bunch of these movies, but he was actually a stunt double himself. And some of two of the people uh, that he has stunt doubled for include uh, number one, Brad Pitt, five different times, and two, Jean Claude Van Damme, which is just so <laughs> because cool. those two people look so much alike. <laughs> it's the right. <laughs> Everyone's always getting those two confused. Uh, that's being that's like oh well i was the stunt double for danny devito and yao ming (laughs) (laughs) but that's all we have for news so i think we should uh, get into this movie and introduce our special guest i guess that means it's time for daddy to go to work daddy's gotta go to work today we are joined by a very special guest a rock talk pod all-star making his second guest appearance on the show uh please welcome malik simmons hello happy to be here happy to talk about this movie like charlie i have a lot of questions there's a lot going on here now malik you join grace ocell as the only two-time returning rock talk guest host that is some rarefied air I'm proud of that fact uh i'm happy to be the second person to be the second something on it uh and i'm excited to dig into this now malik last time you were here you discussed moana so we decided to bring you back for planet 51 to sort of round out the dwayne johnson animated adventures right off the top what did you think of this movie this movie is not even close to moana in a bad way um (laughs) this movie was produced by a production company called handmade films I I, just, I really don't know where to start. It, it, it doesn't make sense. Uh, I asked someone, or asked Charlie, um, when we uh, were talking about the movie before, I think this movie was written in a different language by people who had never been to America, about 50s America. And I think that's why it's all over the place when we, when we talk about what era the movie is set in. Well, Malik, you very well... Uh, maybe correct there. Uh, as you both mentioned, we are watch we are talking about Planet Fifty One. It's two thousand nine PG adventure comedy animated film, directed by directed and written by a duo by the name of Jorge Blanco and Javier Abad. It was their first movie that they directed and, and wrote, and it is the only movie to this day uh, that they directed and wrote. So, <laughs> but <laughs> the, these are just two friends singular vision they saw it through they wrote it they directed it and we have to respect that let's not romanticize this (laughs) we're talking about a train wreck here well like one Uh, way or another they raised an immense amount of money to make this film 
So they they got seventy million dollars. The most expensive movie that has ever been produced in Spain. And they, I would like to see the Wikipedia list of all the movies that have been produced in Spain, because I'm sure I could count them on two hands. But that's I just I think Malik has a really good point. Like I don't know if these two guys know anything about fifties America, other than maybe the movie Greece. Yeah, I think they watch Greece and they watch Back to the Future. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's those movies when they were like, okay, we want to set this uh, in a planet that's set in the 50s. Um, and then they proceeded to just drop in 80s references just all over the place. And so you're asking yourself, like, who who is this movie for? Full Metal Jacket <laughs> references. <laughs> Uh, there are hippies in this movie. So is it the 50s? Is it the 60s? Is it the 70s? Exactly. Yeah, a lot of questions uh, I know I am super excited to get into. Uh, we ask ourselves, did this movie make any money? Uh, in the United States, the answer is not much. It made it just a little bit over $42 million. But around the world, this movie brought in over $105 million. Look, guys, I want to know what other movies came out when Planet 51 came out? Because to me, that could be... Was this the only option for parents? Because that's the only way I can see people going to this movie. Yeah, I, I don't know. I would have to do a little more research on that. I will say, though, Malik asked, who is this movie for? And I think it really is supposed to be... They, they tried to nail that thing that I think Shrek does really well, which is it's a kid's movie, but the parents will really enjoy it because there will be references and jokes that only they get and their kids won't, but there's also stuff for the kids. But this movie is just so clunky. And they took those adult jokes, in my opinion, a little too far into like a weird sexual place. (laughs) Well, yeah. So it wasn't they weren't jokes that kids wouldn't get. They were so straightforward that they were like just very inappropriate jokes sprinkled throughout this very wholesome movie. And So let's I think we should just get into it because there's a lot that we're going to have to digest here. Uh, Act one. On Planet 51, green humanoids with snail-like feelers and pointed ears live peacefully in the town of Glipforg, a society reminiscent of the United States in the 1950s. A mysterious spacecraft goes into orbit around Planet 51 and sends out a signal. On the planet, under a secret army base, there is a basement filled with Earth artifacts, including robotic satellites and space probes launched by the United States and the Soviet Union. The spacecraft signal activates Rover, a wheeled AI probe. Rover escapes, following a program to locate the newly arrived astronaut in the spacecraft. The planetary army becomes suspicious after Rover's escape and begins to investigate. The spacecraft touches down in a backyard. NASA astronaut Charles T. Chuck Baker, voiced by Dwayne Johnson, emerges from the ship. Shocked when he realizes he is on an inhabited planet, Chuck runs and hides at the local planetarium as the army arrives at the scene of the spacecraft. Planet 51 Army General Grawl, voiced by Gary Oldman, and Professor Kipple, voiced by John Cleese, quarantine the neighborhood and they warn the citizens of impending danger. Uh, This movie, at the very beginning, there's a ton of characters. Um, I want to ask both of you your thoughts just first on astronaut chuck baker voiced by dwayne johnson now we saw maui i mean in maui and moana 
Uh, I would say that we all would agree. He looks similar to Dwayne Johnson. He has the same physicality of Dwayne Johnson uh, and a similar in appearance. Would you say the same is true for Chuck Baker? <laughs> Not at all. Chuck Baker is blonde and very white. He's a very white man. <laughs> uh, and, and, I mean, one question I have is he doesn't even look like a classic 50s actor and maybe chuck we could talk about this later is not supposed to be from the 50s um but if you're not gonna make him look like the rock then make him look like somebody i mean he just looks like this bland central casting astronaut yeah and he proves over and over that he's a terrible person he seems to sort of force himself on women or at least he alludes to that later in the movie he is very self-obsessed talks about how the only reason that he's an astronaut is because of his rugged good looks and charm yeah uh, but when, you do, he doesn't really have a character arc when the alien army they start going through his spaceship two things uh of his possessions jumped out at me one is that he had an ipod and it falls on the ground and starts playing the macarena which i again in terms of trying to place where or when Chuck Baker exists in the universe. I was very confused that the Macarena was on his iPod. And two, a GQ cover of himself. So this is just <laughs> like just terrible. So upsetting. Like this his character is to me super unlikable right off the bat. Yeah, and he never really comes full circle to be likable. Even when he sort of takes the uh, main alien protagonist Lem under his wing, it always uh, felt weird. I think they're going for like a big brother, little brother thing, but it does not. It's more net- predatory. It's more. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, yeah. It's, it's You're a young, you know, person and uh, and I want to go home and I'm going to use you. It, it's like Baloo the Bear and Mowgli in the Jungle Book, except for Baloo is teaching Mowgli all the wrong lessons. Yeah. If Baloo was just incredibly hateful, that's what you kind of <laughs> yeah, get in the, this character. Right. And I want to talk about these aliens because there are a lot of them. Uh, We have Lem, who's the protagonist. He's like a 16-year-old kid. Uh, He's voiced by Justin Long. Yeah, I thought Justin Long did a really great job. He's a great voice actor. And he comes across as a a very sheepish high school senior. Yeah, I thought so too. I thought that he, he sounded exactly the part. And his character looked fine to me. He like just, you know... He was, to me, probably one of the most likable people in this movie. We also have Nira, who is Lem's crush, and uh, Nira is voiced by Jessica Biel. Uh, Fun fact, this was Dwayne Johnson's first animated movie. It was also Jessica Biel's first animated movie. Um, What did we think of Jessica Biel uh, as Nira? I think she came in for a single weekend of work, because she's hardly in it. Yeah, she has, like, paycheck. She had, like, ten lines and... Mostly, I have to say, her character made more of an impact on me than her voice acting. But again, that's because I feel like everything in this movie was Is that oddly... the visuals that you're talking about? <laughs> Are you talking about what she looked like? Because uh, I would second that as well. Yes. Well, it's, it's almost like a weird Jessica Rabbit thing where she's supposed to be kind of sexualized, right? Yeah. yeah Am well, I wrong? That's the th- no, uh, am I, I being creepy? I think you're 100% right. This movie is so weirdly sexual. And this little, this like alien person is so like oddly attractive like it's it's very weird they made her like a pinup it's so weird is it like roxanne and goofy movie <sighs> nothing can match roxanne and goofy movie <laughs> that's that's i know how much you podcast. love it um <laughs> that's on our other podcast yeah very goofy podcast 
So anything else in this in this first act? I mean, there's a lot that we could that we should break down about. I think this culture of this society. Yeah, it's yeah. Sort of. First and foremost, this movie posits that culture on Earth and culture on this alien planet are parallel, except for Earth's culture is about fifty years in the future. Fast forwarded um, compared to the planet that we're on now. Yeah. So so what I want to know is is 1940s alien planet just like 1940s earth did we just win a big world war against you know some other alien that we'd never see in the movie which is another question that i have no is there an alien hitler that's what i want to know wow that is the kind of stuff though (laughs) like in terms of the lore that's what we need here though because it's unclear world building yes like as far as I can tell, every single alien that we see in this entire movie is the exact same race. Like there was no different dialect, except that if you were a member of the police, you had to speak very maybe, like like a police. That might officer. mean that m- maybe Hitler won in this universe, <laughs> oh. and that's why there's only one a- type of alien in the entire planet. There was an alien final solution that was carried out. Oh, my God. I just realized something. There definitely was an alien Hitler because uh, the hippie alien drives around in a VW bus. VW was owned by the German government. Guys, the the proof is in the pudding. Open your eyes. Is this a propaganda movie? Well, that's meant to show us how peaceful life would have been if Hitler had had won. Just given up and... Thrown in the towel. They all look. Everyone seemed you. to be having a good time. I'm just gonna go ahead and say it. Well, They're, it's a. It seems to be a military state. Yeah, I. Yeah, I think you're right on that because everybody seemed oddly casual when the secret military operators sort of descended upon that. There was little to no resistance except this. This one like protest folk singer who is everywhere in this movie. Yeah, there's no government to speak of. Like, no government officials pop up. I mean, I guess you have local government organizations like the police department, but are, they don't do anything. It no. really seems like this general is running the place and not just the military, but the entire sort of society uh, that we see in the movie. Is yeah. he a dictator? Well, we never get an alien mayor or anything that like alien that. Hitler? <laughs> <laughs> well, but this general is arguably one of the dumbest people in the movie. There's also I want to just ask the question. We see a scene when when Chuck touches down in his spaceship. He lands in the backyard of these aliens and they're having a barbecue. And I am wondering what alien burgers are made out of. Like what is the because there is the it's only gotta be an food, alien cow. Well, we see ketchup. Like I'm just I'm wondering the rules of this movie of this world are so loose because there are things like ketchup which are seemingly completely unchanged and there's like a milkshake diner type thing but i'm wondering where that ends or is it is it truly an identical universe save for the fact that these aliens are the people well one of the things that drove me crazy and you're right there are they don't set out a, a consistent set of rules for this planet because at the beginning of the movie when people are at the movie theater their popcorn is visibly floating but the gravity seems to be the same as Earth in every other instance. Oh, why? That theater was packed. And when we in see the them exit, the it is the middle of the day. <laughs> so, <laughs> Gotta catch that matinee. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody's really doing any work. You have 
that one kid at the comic book shop. Yeah, I mean, there doesn't seem to be a large workforce here. I I, I almost got the impression that th- that we were just on a military base, and that like maybe, you know, all of these are like military families, and that's why uh, no one else works except for the museum in the uh, in the comic book store. That's way more reason than this uh, <laughs> movie deserves. Uh, another thing that drove me crazy about this movie, and maybe this is just the made in Spain of it all, but every single song that they play is just a crappy cover version. It's like, did they have enough? This is a $70 million movie. Starting with the first song. Lollipop. Which was just, why do you decide on that? And that might be the most annoying song in the world. I also think that, that but did they, they played it in full. They didn't play a snippet of Lollipop. <laughs> they played like three Start minutes. It doesn't, it doesn't like fade into the movie. No, we're just going to have an extra long title sequence so that we can play the extra minute and a half of the song. <laughs> but this is a $70 million movie. Do they not have the budget to license the real songs? I have no idea. The only music that was, well, was the Grease Lightning and the Macarena. Those Were those actual? None of that was the real version. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just... Oh, this movie was so conf- it it still to me feels like a hodgepodge of like what American culture is believed to have been. It it feels yeah, it feels it, so foreign. It is like reference after reference after reference like when Chuck gets out of the capsule which by the way is an Apollo capsule and he's from current day so we're not still using <laughs> Apollo capsules. He he gets out and he starts make uh, doing the 2001 Space Odyssey thing like and so that's a reference. You get an ET reference. You get a singing in the rain reference. You get a Full Metal Jacket reference. It's just one after the other. Exactly. And so like I think if we wanted to think about how could we have made this a movie worth seventy million dollars, let's set up rules here. Maybe Chuck is from the present day. And when he is interacting in the world, we have present day references. And when it's the other aliens, we go back to the 50s. But it's just all over the place. Uh, I really, I think the producers got out an almanac or something and was just reading up on references. One from the 70s, one from the 80s, the Macarena from the 90s, uh, and Facebook, which really was not a novelty in 2009. (laughs) But gets a mention in this movie. Wow. Can we talk about the butt plug? Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. One of, you're right. One of the strangely sexual <laughs> things. So a sexual movie. So Sean William Scott's character, one of the things that he says, he, he tells Lim to watch out. If you get kidnapped by an alien, you're going to get probed. So use this cork to put up your butt? Oh, yeah. That's the, that is the only reasoning that a cork would provide in them i don't i just don't about the first 20 minutes that's not gonna go over a kid's head is what i like i that's so on the. that's not even a double entendre it's a single entendre it's just saying put this cork in your butt so the alien doesn't get you like i and and that do kids know about probes i don't i don't that's do kids know about probes (laughs) <laughs> no. If you if you're a kid and you listen to this podcast and you know about probes, write to us at rocktalkpod at gmail.com. 
We want to hear from all of our. That is a joke. <laughs> we don't want to do hear. Do not. Please don't contact me. But that joke does come up like three different times in this movie. They don't let it die. There's like a point where I think the guy says like "got your cork" or something, or like something like that. Yeah, that's the big joke of the movie. The big callback is the cork. Another way that this movie doesn't set up any rules is even though everything on this alien planet is exactly like it was in the 1950s, they make a, a big point to really reiterate that Lim doesn't get sarcasm. Yes. So did sarcasm existed in 1950? Right. I don't... That, but was, that was the one disconnect. I was baffled by that moment uh, when Lem and Chuck finally meet at the planetarium. I could not understand and i i didn't under i didn't get what was going on for the first two times and then the third time they say hello like three different times this is what killed me about this movie is that none of the character building or development had any consistency to it it was just random bits and pieces thrown together like that bit didn't make sense in the context of what we see the rest of the movie like lem doesn't talk like he's from the 50s like conversation isn't isn't fifties era convo. Even even if it was, I think you said sarcasm existed. It's I am. It's just I am confused and frustrated <laughs> and afraid. <laughs> no, I think the only reason that this was set in the nineteen fifties is for the visuals, right? The whole retro futurism of the nineteen fifties really fits this planet i guess and i will say the animation i thought looked really cool and kind of unique the only thing that sort of stood out to me is they clearly didn't have the voice syncing right like the shapes that their mouths made never really matched the dialogue that was coming out and that bothered me right just like gaping maws that were not synced up to any (laughs) kind of word um i have a question about rover the little uh was like like Oh, you mean the Wally ripoff? <laughs> yes, ex- yeah, like like two bit Wally. Wally was two years earlier than this. So I don't understand if nothing else in this movie has like they they gave this robot the entire personality and mannerisms of a dog. Yeah, who programmed that back on Earth? Who thought that'd be a good idea? It like wags its tail. Like I'm just confused because that I mean, technology. He, ta- he talks to him like a dog too at one point where he's like bad rover, and it just, I it was just one of those things where I just I audibly cringed to myself. Like this is just <laughs> it's so weird. All right, let's just get into Act Two at the planetarium. Lem discovers Chuck's hiding place. Realizing that Chuck isn't a threat, Lem decides to help, hiding Chuck and shortly after Rover as well in his bedroom for the night. When the general and his men soon arrive to search Lem's room, the gang sneaks back into the planetarium. The next morning, the army takes Chuck's ship to a secret location. In an effort to retrieve it, Lem, Skiff, and Chuck attend a movie premiere in costume as fans of the movie. General Grawl arrives and points out that Chuck's U.S. flag insignia identifies him as the alien. Chaos ensues, and Chuck is captured and unmasked, and he and Rover are taken away to the military base. So that's uh, kind of the bare bones version of Act 2. There's a lot of weird stuff here. And I want to just just start right off with the sexual undertones don't stop. Uh, we get a lot of weirdness in the, in the relationship between Chuck and Lem. Yeah, it's 
it's weird. It, it seems like Lim, even though he's stuck on an alien planet and has literally a ticking talk to get back to the spaceship to get him to Earth, he is preoccupied with making sure that Lim gets in the bone zone. Yeah, it was like watching one of those. It was like one of those YouTube videos where a guy is like a pickup artist and is teaching someone how to like pick up girls at the women at the bar. Yeah. And 2009 wasn't that long ago. That wasn't okay then. It's also, it's just weird for me. I know we've done a lot of like the evolution of Dwayne Johnson as kind of a public figure. This movie sort of exists in that time zone when he was still doing kind of, kind of pseudo uncomfortable bits like this in a lot of his movies. We get a lot of homophobia in this movie. Um, You get that and get smart too around the same time. Yeah, it's just, this is kind of a weird time period for Dwayne Johnson films when I don't know what it was, whether he was trying to be edgy or if was this just the era of like Dane Cook and this was the kind of humor? Like, I don't know what I it mean, is. I mean, this is, to me, I, I don't think this is a role, and maybe you guys could, you know, give your thoughts on it too. I don't think he would take this today because it just, it's all over the place. Um, and like you said, some of these, the themes and the things that, they're talking about in the movie i just don't think he would want to touch that this is not a role that a presidential candidate is going to take even post trump <laughs> yeah oppositional research is going to single this movie out <laughs> but no one of the some of the trivia behind this movie is initially he turned it down and then said later that he he liked the script so much and the, he thought the jokes were funny so he he decided to join in the end so this wasn't some like thing that he was unsure about he had left it and came back based on the script. Yeah, he specifically. I wouldn't tell people that. He specifically came to the movie for the bad uh, butt plug jokes. That's why he's here. Right. Uh, I watched a little featurette about this movie on YouTube. It's more than I could stomach. <laughs> <laughs> That's my uh, journalistic background. But uh, he was a little worried to do any voice acting. And I, I will say in Moana, he did a better job. But. We're, we're sort of in agreement that voice acting probably is not his strong suit. But he, he's talking a little bit about how he decided to put his own little spin on the character. So he made his voice a little higher. And that was the only thing he did different. But he was so proud of it. Ew. You know what? I noticed that in this movie that he sounded like I thought it was like a pitch correction issue in post. But you're telling me that was a choice? To have just yeah, like a according squeakier. to the featurette, yeah, that is disturbing and weird, and and it's it's concerning because it it just adds to erasing of the rock from this character because it doesn't look like him, doesn't sound like him. Um, it you lose why you would even want him in the role, in my opinion. Besides having his name on the poster, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, you're absolutely right. This this character doesn't even have, doesn't display any kind of physicality. I think they were going for charm, but I, in my opinion, it really did not come through. This he could just have comes been, off as a douche. Yes. Oh, more than anything. Let's talk about the moment that the army aliens search Lem's room. They find one of Chuck's left behind Twix candy bar wrappers. Seemed a little out of place in this movie, did it not? Yeah. You don't get name brands in animated movies like that, like recreations of real 
things, right? I don't think so. I mean, I think in like the cars, you get a lot of like play on words, like you get similar imagery, stuff that looks the same. But this was like down to the barcode, just a Twix, like a full on Twix wrapper. (laughs) Um, I mean, I I think maybe they needed you know another fifteen million so that they could get the rights to that lollipop cover to play at the beginning, <laughs> uh, and so they went to Mars Company and was like, "Look, we'll put the candy bar in the movie." Is <laughs> well, my thing is like, what astronaut needs a Twix bar <laughs> per ounce or per kilogram? It costs so much money to launch payload in a rocket, and every little bit of weight makes a difference. So. You break that down, that's probably like a couple hundred grand. Ooh, that's another candy bar. (laughs) Exactly. You know, and that's me too. You want to know one brand that we don't see in the movie, or maybe I just missed it? NASA. No, you miss it. It's on his uh, astronaut suit. Maybe I was just so... (laughs) You had had tuned out. By that I point. was too after I heard the second butt plug joke, I, <laughs> I I I probably missed it. I missed the visuals. Now this is what kills me about that Twix bar. The professor, the bad, the evil professor, picks up the Twix bar, and everyone is acting like they've never seen a candy bar wrapper before. And you know, I'm positive that they haven't seen a Twix bar, but seeing as everything else in their culture is identical to 1950s America, I'm positive that they have candy bars. But also, they yeah. they all speak English, as confirmed by Chuck and Lem's interaction. So how come no one can read the writing on the rapper? <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they only speak and there's no words. So so you're telling me that this movie no, there has to be words is positing the idea that this this universe, this planet, millions of light years away, comic. they created. A language that verbally is identical to our own, yet has zero of the same written components. No, I have to back up because you're right. There are comic books. There are advertisements, like old school 1950s advertisements. There was a chalkboard, I think. Never mind. Oh, wow. Yeah. I have to back away from that. $70 million. (laughs) But these are the questions that come up. Right. It's like really easy things that writers should have been able to sort of pick out. But instead, they were too busy writing lines like, I have a couple for you. Uh, Quick, cover the camera. If it gets damaged again, we'll have to pay for it. No. Like that is a line of dialogue in this movie. People don't say that. That's not a... Those right. I mean, words it's in like, that order that did not move the plot forward and did not do anything. It never came back. And then later on, Dwayne Johnson says, "When are you green goobers gonna evolve?" Oh, like somebody wrote that down. I feel really bad that we don't have any clips yet. But part of the problem is that that kind of dialogue makes up ninety nine percent of this movie. Probably to me, the most disturbing thing that happened in this movie is this sort of lesson that Chuck was giving Lim about women and and how he picks up women. So uh, maybe we should play that quick clip. Why do chicks dig me? Because I'm handsome? Because I'm an astronaut? Yes, and yes, but it's also because of Chuck Baker's three steps to romance. Spot your prey. Make your move. Show no mercy. Hey, baby. 
I saw you across the bar. Are sparks flying, or is this place on fire? Uh, you sure you're not ugly, right? I think so. Uh, Maybe tomorrow I go up in space. Maybe uh, never to return. Uh, Let's make our last night a night to remember. Wow, and it is much darker on second viewing. His three steps to romance are spot your prey, make your move, and show no mercy. I mean, that's... Wow. That's bad. That's really bad. This is not what we should be teaching our children. $70 million, and it is a kid's movie. (laughs) And that's the type of dialogue that we're getting. These are the lessons that people are going to be taking away from this movie. One over $105 million worth of children and families saw this movie. (laughs) And probably are all now terrible adults. This is the problem. And he, he uses it. Oh, yeah. This is how he succeeds. Yeah, this, he, is how the... this is how he gets the girl. <laughs> oh. Oh, my gosh. That's bad news this bears. This is rough. Moving into Act 3. At Base 9, Crawl interrogates Chuck and orders that Professor Kipple removes his brain for examination. Meanwhile, back in town, Len, with Rover's help, follows Chuck's trail to the entrance to Base 9 in the middle of the desert. They sneak into the base, find Chuck, and release him, setting off numerous alarms in the process. The group finds Chuck's spacecraft in a hangar, but before they can escape, General Grawl arrives and warns that if they try to leave, he will blow up the hangar. Thinking quickly, Lem chooses to initiate the two-minute self-destruct countdown, which panics the guards into fleeing the underground base. The teenagers, General Grawl, and Rover get into the ship, which Chuck pilots out of the base just in the nick of time. Chuck returns the ship to the planet's surface. Although the soldiers are ready to shoot anyone who appears, General Grawl stops them from firing upon Chuck. Finally, the inhabitants of Planet 51 see that Chuck came to their planet for peaceful purposes. Chuck then leaves Planet 51, and we get the end of this stunning, interesting movie. <laughs> the way you trailed off at the end of that description. Uh, how I felt. Yeah, kind of how I felt watching <laughs> just this movie. Peter's out. I have a feeling that I may have liked this more than you guys, just because there was, it was weird. Anyway, not going to get into that now. This movie was easy to track. It's 90 minutes long. It's fairly simple. They kind of waste some time there in the middle, though. I was very pleased with the length of this movie because any longer and I would have lost my mind. But at 91 minutes, it was bite-sized enough that I could take it for what it was and not totally freak the frick out. That being (laughs) said, I just want to say Act 3, continuing our theme of uncomfortable sexual jokes, there's a sequence where Chuck exposes himself to a group of 15-year-old alien children. He's about to get dissected, and he's laying on a gurney, and he gets rescued, and so he gets up from the gurney, and the sheet falls off of him. And what's what's the line, Malik, that they say? I, oh, you don't have it? All right. <laughs> it was something with a tentacle. <laughs> yeah, they oh, no, not that's... a tentacle, an antenna. That's a that's a oh. funny place for an antenna. See, I, I think I wanted to forget it because it was that bad. <laughs> Um. Yes. It, there's no words. I'm sorry. I it, I don't have any. I mean, words just for why it. was that's that played what level for laughs? This movie's working at. For me, my favorite scene in this movie is the sequence 
uh, when Chuck is being interrogated by General Grawl. And there's this moment where the general is like, and don't try to use your mind control powers on me because this guard will shoot you. And if you mind control him, then this guard will shoot you and he'll shoot him. Yes. Like, you know what I'm talking about? This like chain reaction yeah, sequence. I really enjoyed that. Even though this guy's a general, he's kind of an idiot. Malik mentioned that a little bit earlier. But I, I love it. Honestly, I think Gary Oldman, who <laughs> does the voice work for this general, is pretty good. And I, I enjoyed his character. Like I said, there were some actual funny jokes in here. But they were offset by these sort of darker moments that really haven't aged well. Or maybe in 2009, or they bad, didn't play well then. Yeah. Probably. I mean, I, I think Oldman and Justin Long put in real work here and tried to salvage it. Um, And like I think someone said before, Jessica Biel uh, got a paycheck. (laughs) Well, it's crazy because this movie has such high star power vocal talent in this movie. But yeah, but so did the, the Noma movie. So (laughs) that's a good, that's not an indicator. And there's the problem is there isn't much to say at the end here because by the time that they get Chuck and by the time the movie wraps up, that's sort of it. Except that I guess like one thing to mention is that Rover decides to stay on the alien planet, which to me, is that going to accelerate like their technology? Is that going to throw their timeline all out of whack? I'm That seems to me to have implications. Oh, yeah. Leaving Rover behind may have single-handedly changed the entire fate of that planet once again chuck sacrificed a friend or this dog i mean it's not a dog but he's treated like a dog i think once chuck leaves they tear rover apart and they figure out you know what makes rover tick and they're able to uh flash forward in technology it's like dropping an iphone in 1980 (laughs) people would have freaked out right and that's like maybe that's the sequel to this movie is just like this dystopian, oh <laughs> like war-torn alien future. I was, by the time it ended, I wasn't, it neither, you know, I wasn't overwhelmed. It kind of just made sense to me. It wrapped up cleanly. Nothing jumped out at me in, as really a surprise or anything. One thing that we haven't mentioned is that this movie is a McCarthyism allegory. One of the things that they posit is that on this alien planet, that other aliens or humans, if they come to the planet they can turn you into a zombie and so there's this british guy who walks around accusing people of being zombies and they get put in jail (laughs) and you have to prove that you're not an alien zombie but that's another case of like who is this movie for who is going to enjoy that right it's a bit that doesn't really go anywhere there's an alien with a british accent so that means that there's an england somewhere on this (laughs) (laughs) right uh alien hitler <laughs> this is the one guy who got off the island. Show me Alien <laughs> Churchill. <laughs> one Alien Dunkirk. Oh my gosh! This movie posits more questions than it answers. Yeah, and one of the biggest questions that we have week after week is if we would want to see a sequel uh, to the movie that we just watched. And to answer that, Charlie, we have our patented franchise Viagra test. Franchise Viagra. <laughs> the Franchise Viagra test is broken down into three tenets, and those tenets are charisma, hard work, and physique. And when it comes to an animated movie, these questions are hard, tough to answer. Physique, let's start with that one. <laughs> We've talked about how 
this Chuck character doesn't reflect the Dwayne Johnson at all. stripped of his physique in this movie. He, he doesn't have it. I agree completely. So I don't think he passes that 10 of the franchise Viagra test. Next, we have Charisma. We've talked so much about how Chuck is a terrible person. So he doesn't pass that one either. And that's an easy one for him to pass. As an animated character, you have to do that. And I don't think he he did a good job voice acting at all. I do want to get the footage of him in a booth recording the lines to this movie. That's the sequel. (laughs) Just live action footage of him recording the lines for this movie. I would be surprised if he cracked a smile more than three times while making this movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, especially there at the beginning when he gets like tangled up at the planetarium and then he falls. He's going like, ooh, ah, ooh, ah, ah, ooh, ah. And I want that footage of him in the booth doing those noises. (laughs) And the last one is hard work. Do we think he was working hard? I never want to impugn him and his hard work because that's, I think, a real tenet of who he is. But I have to question it with this movie. And maybe not so much in the, the execution is bad. But I think the hard work in terms of evaluating the script in this role and signing on to it, I think there needed to be more there before he agreed to it. Yeah, it seems like he might have been sleepwalking a little bit through his lines. Or maybe we can chalk that up to him just not being a very good voice actor that's not really his wheelhouse. But you're right, Malik, you bring that up. Part of hard work is determining what projects to take on and what projects to turn down. And this is a real puzzler. (laughs) So, yeah, obviously he doesn't pass the hard work (laughs) tenet either. So this is a fail in all three tenets. Ooh, God. I feel like we've we've had a few movies like this, but 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 very few has it been so clear and concise that the franchise Viagra test would not be passed like this. This to me seemed apparent from maybe minute 30 onward that there was no way that a sequel is deserved for this film. But that being said. I know we all have sort of different opinions on what this movie is. So just before we give our rankings, Charlie, let's just kind of give our, I want to hear everyone's, Malik, what are your your final thoughts on this movie? Where does it stand for you? Um, It's definitely below Why Did I Get Married to the best <laughs> rock movie out there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I think it, it actually in a way makes me appreciate Moana more. And that I feel like he he matured, and when he decided that he was going to do another animated film, um, he hitched his ride with a production team was going to produce quality um, because I just don't see where seventy million went on this movie. Yeah, I think that that is, I think that's a a really appropriate analysis here. It is hard. It must be for you, especially to have been on this podcast, having reviewed Moana, and then to go to this. You're really seeing a difference in the quality between, you know, in what an animated movie can look like. So we'll have you on again the next time, <laughs> the next time an animated movie comes out. Uh, when Moana Two comes out, we'll have to bring him. I'd back. be happy for that one. <laughs> Charlie, what do you, what do you, what do you feel about this movie? You know, when I was watching it, I kept thinking this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. You look at the Rotten Tomatoes rating, and this is, I think, in the low twenties. I did enjoy some parts. I think the animation was kind of unique and cool. But maybe I had checked out so much in this movie where I'm just picking up on little things in the background and that's the level I'm watching this movie at. Didn't hate it. Obviously didn't love it. You know, I feel the same way. I, It's no secret that I was not the biggest fan of Moana. But after watching this, 
it makes me want to watch Moana a thousand more times. This movie for me had the potential to be something really unique. Uh, I think that there was a risk taken by Dwayne Johnson for this to be the first animated movie he joined, like this pretty much a what like a foreign film written by two guys that never had written or directed a movie. Like I think I like the leap of faith that he took, but I found so much of the writing uncomfortable. The story itself is fine, uh, but the characters, at least Dwayne Johnson's character, was not any fun to watch. And it's not often that his character is the least compelling in a movie. So I don't know. I wasn't wasn't thrilled with it, to say the least. So all that being said, if I, if I were to rank this film, for me, it's I'm using Moana as a benchmark here. Uh, and there's no way I would watch this instead of Moana. So immediately it's going to be lower than my number nine. Um, below that, I have Get Smart, Snitch, Gridiron Gang, Scorpion King, Doom. When I look at that list of movies, I cannot see myself watching this movie again. And I cannot see myself watching Doom again. But if it were between Doom and Planet 51, I would watch Planet 51 every time. So I'm going to put this as my new 14th movie uh, right below Scorpion King. Charlie, what about you? I mean, weirdly enough, I think I like this movie more than you two. But when I look at my rankings, I'm looking at Race to Witch Mountain, which in a lot of ways, it's a kid's movie dealing with aliens, some weird moments in that as well. But I think I liked Race to Witch Mountain a little more. And you're right, Scorpion King is another level of watchability that we get at with this. And I think, so I'm going to rank my number 15 right below Scorpion King. Uh, Planet 51, number 15 in my rankings. What about you, Malik? How many rock movies have you seen and where would you rank this? I haven't seen enough. I would definitely put it last. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you have, why did I get married to? I, why did you get married to? Moana. And then I have seen the Scorpion King. That movie terrified me. And at least it made me feel something. <laughs> <laughs> this movie just and, made you feel dead inside. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think you got to give points uh, for that. So I definitely put Planet 51 last. So there you have it, folks. Not the worst movie either of us have seen, but it is the worst movie that Malik has seen. And Malik, I <laughs> just want to thank you again for coming on the show and watching um, what for you seems to have been a really traumatic experience. Despite that, thanks for having me. <laughs> and as always, if you have been listening along, uh, thank you and thank you for your support of the show. Rock Talk is still the number one rated and reviewed and listened to, downloaded, streamed, followed, liked, favorited, even retweeted Dwayne Johnson theme podcast on the entire world and maybe on Planet 51 as well. I'm not sure. Uh, so please remember, if you haven't yet, do us a solid and follow us on our social media. Uh, you can find us at Rock Talk Pod on Twitter and Instagram and also at Facebook at Facebook.com slash Rock Talk Pod. Seriously, that helps us out so much and we appreciate it so much. And until next week, you've been listening to Rock Talk. Rock Talk.